This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Cole, and I'm going to be reading the scripture from today, which is Matthew 5, 27 through 30. That can be found on page 810 in the pew Bibles you have in front of you. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who commits or looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. One of the things I love about our church is that you have a woman in her 60s leading us to confess our sin, and a man in his 20s reading a passage about God's call to holiness. Um, it is a gift to shepherd this body, uh, and not because it's a perfect body. I think actually the humanity of our body is what makes it so beautiful to me, um, so thanks for engaging with me. Let me just pray as we um, encounter this text and... Um, as I pray, you've already heard words that might be triggering in ways of either regret or shame or deep sadness or hurt or betrayal, maybe a sense of hopelessness, a decade-long battle that you felt that you just feel no hope for, and here comes one more opportunity to make you feel like you don't have value and to shove your face down into your brokenness. Um, can I just pray over us that God would speak a better word? by the blood of Christ, over our shame and our fear and our hurt. Jesus, you came to give life. And not just life that squeaked by with boundaries and protocol and constraint, but life that's abundant. You came not just to help us behave better, but to be healed and transformed. You came to actually bear the weight of all of our sin and shame and the sin and shame of those who have harmed us. So I just want to start by saying thank you for who you are. Thanks for what you've done. And would you apply that good news of what you've done, this invitation to new life, this way possible of transformation because of your blood and your sacrifice and your broken body and your atoning grace on the cross that we're not left to endless cycles of shame and trying harder or stuck in cycles of abuse or stuck in patterns of addiction forever. You actually came to liberate captives, to open up eyes of the blind, to heal what was broken, to restore what has been taken. So Jesus, with a lot of hope, I ask that you would actually speak to us this morning, that you would um, take your word and press it into our hearts in all the ways that we need it. For some, it'll be a corrective word. For some, it'll be a healing word. For some, it will be instructive and kind of reimagining for them. God, the truth is all of us need all of that. So would you help us be reoriented around who you are and what you're like through your word. Holy Spirit, do more than what my outline has prepared. Do more than what um, I- I'm wrestling with in my own heart this morning. Would you minister to people, and would you call people that are not yet your children to yourself? What a gracious gift that you would use the area of sin and shame and brokenness sexually to invite people to yourself to come and be healed. 
to be forgiven, to be free. So would you, would you save people this morning, even while we talk about purity and adultery and lust? Would you, would you do that? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, man, you can tell from just <laughs> my tone, like I actually am really excited about this text. I've prayed for you all week. I realize we are getting our tails kicked as a community, as a culture, as men and women, when it comes to this area of sexuality. One of the reasons why I wanted to live in Johnson County and do ministry in Johnson County and kind of give my life away in Johnson County is I believe there is a relational poverty here that's just below the waterline of how we normally can buy our way through and cope our way through with stuff. That actually, if you just slow down long enough, people will be honest to kind of put on the table and say there's actually a deep longing and a need and a brokenness. There's issues in our marriages, issues with our parenting, and there is a hidden sexual addiction. And maybe actually it's not that hidden anymore, right? 14 months later at the start of COVID, maybe it's actually not that hidden. And you've gone back to patterns that you said you would never do. And things that you thought you had control over have now surfaced and emerged. Like, I believe God wants to do a healing work in our community through his word and the power of the gospel around this idea of sexuality, around healing our marriages, around giving us eyes and hearts that are purely focused on him, that actually adore who God is and actually have our hearts drawn towards him. Not endless cycles of shame and trying harder and doing more, not feeling like we're never going to measure up, which actually you know adds more temptation for you to actually soothe that shame. So to put Jesus and what he's promised to us in the middle of our struggle, I think is a beautiful invitation this morning. So it's one that I've like all week long been eager to stand before you and tell you that God loves you, that Jesus is powerful, that what Christ did on the cross is enough to heal and to help and to break the chains of what you feel. It can heal that pain of betrayal that you felt. There are stories in our body, starting with your pastor, of people who have seen God work. Right? There are people who have recovered from adultery. People who are years sober from sexual addiction. You are in a community that believes the grace of Jesus allows us not just to be honest about our brokenness, but actually get help around our brokenness. So I'm, I'm eager for you to hear that transforming word. I think it's helpful to put this passage in context, right? To remember what Jesus is doing is telling us about the kingdom of God, that it's actually come, and what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Remember where he starts? He starts in the Beatitudes saying things like, hey, blessed are those who are broken, those who are poor in spirit, those who are overwhelmed, those who are mourning, those who feel meek, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but they, they have this ache and this longing. Great news, the kingdom of God is for you. Blessed to you who are, are pure in heart, who are trying to actually seek after God. The kingdom of God is for you. And then he begins to talk about what it looks like to live inside that kingdom. And before he goes any further, he says, hey, just to be clear, I'm not reversing the Old Testament law because the law of the Old Testament, the Scriptures say we're meant to give us life. The Old Testament says, hey, I lay before you today life and death. It's not like the law only crushed us. The law brought about the weight of our brokenness so that we would turn to God. But Jesus says, I didn't come to take that away. I came actually to fulfill that. So Jesus is coming into our broken world to say, I am the answer to all the places where you feel longing and need and brokenness and despair. That's exactly what he's doing. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 5, I'm coming to actually fulfill it in such a way that you could have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. Every week I'm going to bring us back to this over these next couple of passages because these six little snippets starting with anger and then going to lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and loving our enemies, all of those are illustrations of the kind of transformation and righteousness that Jesus offers us 
because of what he's done on the cross, a kind of righteousness that exceeds our best efforts at our own good work. A kind of righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, which if you're familiar with the Bible at all, these are like the ninjas, the black belts, the the best of the best. These are the green berets spiritually who follow all the rules. They're uber disciplined. Jesus is saying you couldn't actually do more than they can do. What you need is something different than what their behavior could do. What Jesus came to fulfill is the new covenant promise to take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. No longer just simply bound to regulations and rules and laws and restraints, but actually new birth and new affections and new vision and new beauty that actually captures our imagination and sets us free to follow after God. That's why Jesus came. Friends, He did not come to make you act better. He came to set you free. He came to heal the wounds. He came to give you His righteousness, He says in Isaiah. To to give you a a righteousness that you didn't deserve, to impute to you, to extend to you, to share with you the righteousness that he has, that he was able to give you because of what he did on the cross. So that is the grounding verse coming into this text. And I say that because lots of us have heard this passage in isolation. And it stands on its own, right? It's a great word by itself. It speaks to us and to our hearts. But if you can put it in context, what you see is, Jesus isn't just after your behavior. He's after you being renewed from the inside out. And he's speaking to where you live your life. Spaces of anger and entitlement last couple of weeks. And now with this issue of of our sexuality, of our sex lives, of our thoughts, of of our actions. He's saying, hey, the gospel of Jesus even applies there. The good news of the kingdom is advancing in those private places those those secret places those hidden places those places that you're trying to cover the places where you feel the most amount of wounds the gospel of jesus is on the move into that space to speak good news into your brokenness into your adultery into your lust into your failure into your shame man how much does god love us that he doesn't just like reserve these intimate spaces for some other place he puts them right on display so that you and i can have hope in jesus that even the things that haunt us the most can actually be transformed again you've got stories in this body that people would say i can testify to the fact that god does set captives free you got people who have been able to forgive those who have harmed them in areas of sexuality you got people who have come through abuse people that have overcome adultery people that have been sober from their sexual addiction you have people who are being transformed in this body and i say all that to you to give you hope because even right now i'm just nine minutes in right nine minutes in and you're going like dang not me maybe well that's true if you haven't tried and struggled for 30 years what if i'm in my 80s what if i'm in my 80s and i made it this far and nobody knows pastor don't look me in the eye i'm going to make it all the way to the grave and nobody's going to know this there's people in the room right now saying that to themselves there's also eight-year-olds in the room They don't know what to do with that feeling they have in their stomach as they saw pictures and images and they didn't know what to do with them. It covers across the board. What I want to do this morning is give you a vision of what God actually wants to say to you around sexuality. We're going to do two parts. Today is kind of what is this beautiful vision of God's kingdom ethic when it comes to your bodies and your heart and sex? What's his purpose for you? And then next week we'll zoom in on how do we actually cultivate that? How do we protect that? How do we move towards some strategies to to live in light of this holiness that God begins to offer us? But I want to just start by welcoming you in wherever you find yourself, whether it's indifferent or it's covered in shame or you're super confused or or you think this is inappropriate. I don't don't know where your heart would be at. Would you let Jesus actually speak to you because he has a word he wants to share with you?
He wants to actually touch that space. Because whether you have ever looked at an image that you shouldn't look at or not, you have been affected by a culture and a community that for decades has been saturated with pornography. It's changed how we see fashion, how we see beauty, how we make films, how we do commercials, how we sell products. It changes the clothes we offer to little girls. It tells little boys what they should desire and want. Before you ever realize that you have breathed this overly sexualized air in a distorted way that has had you actually now having the side effects. Like if you grew up in a community that had a poisonous water system because of a factory downstream that was dumping sewage into the water and you didn't know it. So you keep washing your clothes, you go down there for water, and you've absorbed in your body the toxins from that upstream factory. That's exactly what's happened when it comes to sexuality for us. You have consumed, you've been active, and you've been passively receiving and being shaped by a culture that is overly sexualized. Just, hey kids, I know it's all around you. I know it is. I'm so sorry that you're growing up in a world that tells you your value is in your body. That is not true. Your body is really valuable. God really cares about you. He made you beautiful the way he made you. But he doesn't want you to use your body to have to get love or to take love from somebody else. I'm really sorry. Women, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that you live in a world where you've been told you have to give something of yourself to get love. Where you've been commodified and it's been transactional and it's just the air that you breathed. You didn't even know. And it just was, there's Christian versions of it. There's non-Christian versions of it. There's historic versions of it. There's modern versions of it. It is simply everywhere. Ladies, I'm, I'm really sorry. And dudes, I'm really sorry that you've been reduced down. The guys have told you, the media has told you, all you are are your appetites. You've been dehumanized as well. Pornography doesn't just dehumanize the victims. It actually dehumanizes the perpetrator as well. As you get reduced down, simply to your appetites, and it's a lie. So what Jesus offers us is something more beautiful, something more amazing, something actually holy and good. So I'm eager to put it in front of you. Here's what I want to do. I want to walk through just real quickly. What is he actually saying in this passage? And then I want to spend just a little bit of time on why is he saying it? What's he saying? And then what's the why behind that? And then I want to talk about what he's not actually saying. All right, so first, what he's saying. Look with me on page 810. This is Matthew chapter 5. He says this, But you've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We'll just stop there in those two verses. Remember, what he's doing is not saying, You've heard it say it was on the outside, but I'm telling you it's actually worse than that. God cares about your heart. What he's saying is actually better than that. It's deeper than that. It's more whole than that. You've heard it said, Outward ordinances and behaviors, what God's after. But the Bible actually has always been about the heart. The Old Testament is always aimed at the heart. So he's saying actually the the impulses of your heart actually matter. But the fact that he starts in quotes from the Big Ten, from the Big Ten Commandments, and actually I think you can say he's quoting from two of the Big Ten, both don't commit adultery and don't covet your neighbor's wife. He's kind of tagging two of those in this space to say, hey, this really matters. The first thing I want you to see is that God thinks your sexuality matters. It's not a throwaway topic. It's not taboo. It's not for those other people. It's not just for our culture to have the conversation. God cares about your sexuality. And you have been reduced down just to your appetites. Almost in an animalistic way, you've been told all your value is is your body. But God actually has a much more elevated view of your sexuality. It really matters to God. God made you the way he made you. Just stop for a second. God could have made babies any way he wanted to. He could use photosynthesis if he wanted to to make babies. 
He designed this thing to be used in beautiful, intimate ways. God's designed the way that we engage sexually to give Him glory, which is kind of a mind-bender. Think about the way God actually engages with us in that space as it points us towards Him. But God wants us to start out the gate, and Jesus says, hey, I want to apply the gospel to your sexuality because it really, really matters. Secondly, it's more than just physical. The sexual act is more than just your body. Again, we've been lied to to think it's just happening on the outside. People have even been told, hey, I'll give you my body, but I won't give you my heart. We've fragmented ourselves. But Jesus says, hey, you've heard it say, don't commit adultery on the outside, but I'm telling you, with your own heart, with lustful intent, you can actually commit adultery on the inside. So what he's saying is it's more than just physical, and he uses this word lust. Kids in your packet, we try to just unpack lust for a little bit. It's a short little word, but it's kind of confusing. The way it's designed here, maybe you see it there in the ESV, it translates it with lustful intent. It's not just noticing something that's beautiful and appreciating it. It's with an intention to say, I want to have that. Because this word has tied to it issues of greed and covetousness and wanting something that's not yours. So if you take that idea and you partner with this idea that sin is always after worship, what you see is lust is this greedy desire to take and steal from somebody what is rightfully theirs. Their dignity, their value, their worth, their beauty. To take that and to use it, not the way that you appreciate something or invest in something or cherish something, but in the way that a thief takes something and steals it. That's the idea here. To look at a woman with these thieving eyes to take from her, Jesus says that is also out of bounds because you're more than just your body. You, you have a, a sense of who you are that is emotional and spiritual and, and physical. Right? Jesus would be like, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your body. It's not less than your body, but it's way, way, way more than that. Right? Jesus wants you to know that when it comes to sexuality, it's not just your body. And I spend some time there because there is a lie in our culture that what you do with your body doesn't actually affect your heart. You tell yourself that lie all the time when you give yourself over to temptation and say, I'll just confess this later, it doesn't really matter. You've reduced yourself down just to your body, but the scriptures don't do that. The scriptures offer you a vision of humanity that is holistic, that involves all of who you are, right? So this is part protective in the sense of it's reminding us of what actually is valuable. It's also reparative to say, hey, there's a piece of the way you think about sex that actually needs to be shifted, and if it shifts, it could actually be healed because your heart is this place where you keep eroding trust and repentance and confidence and intimacy. You keep dehumanizing and you maybe have actually lowered the bar in such a way that you're no longer even concerned about it. You can manage it. But this idea of stealing is actually fascinating. So I just kind of prayed into this for us a little while. And so you know that the porn industry is rooted in human trafficking. You know that. It's undeniable, right? But now just stop and go from all the way from that extreme down to the little moments where you are indulging thoughts and think in that moment what I'm doing is like man stealing, woman stealing. It's a form of slavery. It's enslaving something and taking that person as your own. It's that grievous. It's not boys will be boys. It's not looking at a menu when you never actually order off of it. It's not window shopping. It's none of that. It's stealing. It's dehumanizing. It's thieving. It's, it's woman stealing, man stealing, taking from somebody in forms that actually enslave them. And Jesus is saying, it's possible for you to do that inside your heart. You don't actually have to do anything on the outside. You don't have to click on anything. You don't have to turn a page on anything. 
You don't have to open up a window. You don't have to downstream anything. In your heart, you can actually dehumanize people. Jesus says, hey, it's about your heart. It's more than just physical. It's about your heart. And let me just kind of make that 2.0 or, or 3, right? Because it's about your heart, there's a, a longing that actually needs to be healed that's deeper than just your outward behavior. Uh, this morning, my dog gave me a great example. I don't know, did anybody else get woken up from their dog like freaking out with a thunderstorm? So it's about 3 30, 4 o'clock. I have a little bitty dog, and she's like strong on the door. And you go, like, No, no, we give our dog Xanax. We don't have to do that, so, which is another kind of conversation. But, but our dog is a very anxious little dog, and so she begins to scratch on the door. So I get up and I let her out and kind of work on it. Might as well go ahead and start praying for our people. So I'm engaging there. She goes and pees on the floor. I watch her go up and down the hallway looking for a bedroom door to be open so that she can jump in a bed with one of our family members, right? She's anxiously coming back to me. She wants to get in my lap. She's rolling around the place. Okay, so the question is, what's the problem with the dog? It's not a house training problem. It's not a potty problem that my dog has. She has an anxiety problem. She's scared to death and she's acting out trying to soothe that. It's not a jumping in bed problem. She has this fear that she has on the inside that she's trying to get met on the outside, right? She's going to bed, to bed, to bed, to knocking on door, to door, to door, trying to have somebody actually who would love her and have compassion rather than me, who's just kind of working at the table. She's looking for somebody to show compassion to her so she can jump into bed with them and actually be calmed. And it's not just getting in bed that she wants. She actually wants to be calmed and soothed and taken care of. All right, so I'm working on my sermon this morning. I thought I need like one more illustration. I thought, oh, thanks, Winnie, for that. Because she's not unpotty trained, right? She's housebroken for like eight years. This happens when she's super nervous. Because my dog is more than just her body, right? There's actually more going on inside of her. If that's true of a terrier mutt, it's about 13 pounds that we got from the shelter. How much more true is that of you? That you are more than just your body means that your struggle is more than just with your appetites. I talked to a friend this week and he said, Hey, you know what, man, the, the porn and the sexual addiction, that's not the problem. It's the answer to a problem. There's something deep that I struggle with, that we struggle with, that people struggle with, and that depth that actually we're looking for a solution for, and we will use pornography or sex or anything else to actually soothe that. Would you agree with that? That the outward thing is actually not necessarily the root problem. It's a, an answer to the problem. Hey, what that means is that the solution to what you're looking for is not just better outward behavior. It's having that thing about your heart actually healed. Hey, what if the thing you're struggling with is a symptom or a solution or an answer to the problem rather than the real problem? That means that Jesus didn't just come to give you better boundaries. He came to actually heal what's inside of you. Right, we talked about the idea that sin doesn't stay put. It has this progression. We looked last week and we talked about anger and murder and insults, that it moves in our hearts. Right? It starts small and it moves from saying to somebody dehumanizingly, you fool, you empty-headed, unvaluable person, and that moves us all the way to a place of murder. But it's the same thing. It's a, a dehumanizing, kind of empowering entitlement that we have in our hearts. Well, sex is like that too, right? The desire is like that too. It has this movement, right? But it begins at this desire level, right? And the crazy thing is Jesus didn't come to satisfy every desire you have. He came to redeem some of them, right? That lust is not like aimed at this legitimate desire that you could have if you just had boundaries around it. It's actually aimed at a hunger that should only be satisfied 
in God. It's not that Jesus offers you like a, a help or a solution in some ways that just deals with your lust. What Jesus wants to do is deal with the root issue that you're trying to use lust to cover. He wants to go all the way down to the bottom there and deal with what's happening inside your heart. Right? Jesus wants to say this is about your heart. Right? He says if anyone has looked lustfully at a woman, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. And for the Bible, the heart is not just your emotions. It's the whole person. It speaks of the wholeness of who you are. Right? What Jesus is after is actually healing that space. Of course he wants you to stop with your boundaries. Of course he wants you to be healed in those spaces. But what the offer of Jesus is to get beneath that to the place where the real problem lies and deal with the entitlement, the, the approval, the power, the comfort, the control, the, the thing that you feel like is never going to be okay, the thing about you that you feel like is so broken, no one would ever love it if they actually knew it, the space of shame that's so deep you'll use anything to cover it, even just for a moment, knowing that it will add more shame. Right? You know this, right? It's like trying to quench your thirst by drinking salt water. Oh, it looks so similar. It sloshes in the cup the same way. It sounds the same way. It feels the same in your hands. But if you drink that, far from quenching your thirst, it will only make you more and more thirsty. Why? Because the water isn't the issue. There's a deeper thirst down inside. Something's going on inside of you that needs to be quenched. And that's the place that Jesus wants to actually do healing work. And of course he cares about the outer layer, but the outer layer will get healed in the spaces where Jesus actually touches and heals that inner layer. Right? He's after your heart, which gives us freedom to go to the next space of two extremes, to put in boundaries in place, but not first to put boundaries in place. Right? He's named our hearts, and now fourth in the space of what he wants us to see is that, that we should go to extremes to protect our heart. We'll spend some more time here next week on strategies and a way to cultivate this kind of understanding of beauty. But he says in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. These are extreme words. And if you've been around church for a while, you've heard people say, he doesn't actually mean that. Remember, we talked about how to read the Bible. We should say, okay, well, what, what does he actually mean? What's he pointing to, right? If that's not a literal way to deploy that, right? Because I could gouge my eyes out and still lust. I could chop my hand off and still steal something. I could still take that. wouldn't stop the desires of my heart, right? So he's not talking about mutilation, John's thought says. He's talking about mortification, right? Putting to death the desires of our hearts. So, so what is he actually talking about? He's talking about you being willing to go to extremes to keep your heart safe, to honor other people, to actually be willing to say, what is the thing that actually is tripping me up and can I go towards that with courage and ask God to redeem? Right, so let's just think in two ways. One, one surely is physical boundaries, right? If taking your phone to bed causes you to be tempted, then don't take your phone to bed. If watching Netflix mindlessly for hours at a day puts you in weird spots where you're watching things you shouldn't watch, then dislocate your Netflix and kill it, right? End it. You're like, no way, dude. Maybe, right? What does it mean to cut off your hand and gouge out your eye, right? Could you be willing to actually be like um, unculturally savvy for a moment to protect your heart? Could you be not up on the latest documentaries if that meant that your heart was actually protected? I think he actually does mean go to extremes outwardly to keep yourself safe. But it means way more than that, right? Because we've been talking about the heart. So here's the great news. What he also means is, hey, would you be willing to go to extremes to deal with that thing that's on the inside, 
that the sexual behavior is trying to answer on the outside? Would you be willing to look inward to those spaces of shame and insecurity and places where you feel undone on the inside? Would you consider talking with somebody and going, hey man, this began when I was a little kid. It was the way that I soothed myself at night. I could hear all the fighting around me and this was a way that I could be safe and cared for and it made me feel good. That, it began when I was seven. It began when I was 13. Could you have the courage to go to extremes to actually deal with that kind of root issue? Could you engage in something with a group? Could you start to read some books? Could you talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor to actually go after the places of your heart and not just stop outwardly, but move all the way inwardly, right? Could we flip that around a little bit? Jesus is not just saying have extreme physical boundaries. What if he's saying, hey, in extreme ways, value your heart enough to go after those deep core issues and see God actually heal you from the inside, right? To chop off your hand and gouge out your eyes to to unsubscribe from Netflix would be like this extreme kind of culturally mind-blowing thing. What if you actually said, you know what, this thing I'm wrestling with comes from something much, much deeper. I want to spend some time healing there. Because you can manage the outward stuff and not actually deal with the inside, right? It's that concept of being a dry drunk where, where you've dealt with the outward thing but never dealt with the inward thing and you live like an addict the rest of your life though you haven't actually touched a drop of alcohol. And you've been around people, or maybe that's after your story, and you go, it's not, it's not actually healthy, it's a different version of unhealthy. So what if God's actually inviting us as a people to be extreme? So extreme that we would say, hey, the wounds I felt as a child really matter. They're not excuses to my behavior, but they are windows into where I need to be healed, and I want to actually go after that place. What if I could deal with the thunderstorms? What if I could deal with the fear inside? What if I could deal not just with the behaviors that I'm embarrassed about or might hurt somebody else, but actually the stuff on the inside, right? Jesus is inviting an extreme healing to those deeper places inside your soul. I think that's what he wants us to see, that your sex life really matters, sexuality matters. It's not just physical, but it's about your heart, and he calls us to go to extremes. So secondly then, why is he saying that? And it's simply this, because what God is pointing to in the areas of sexuality is so beautiful we should protect it you put boundaries around things that really matter so whether that is a security rope at a museum to protect the thing of real value behind the glass case or it's speed bumps in a neighborhood or it's a fence around a playground or it's things that you tell your kids not to do and to do in those spaces you are trying to protect what's really valuable what jesus is doing in this moment is reminding us that the biblical view of sexuality is beautiful And actually, God says it's so beautiful, he uses that as his portrait or image or understanding of what it means for God himself to love people, for Jesus to have a bride, the church itself. So God uses an intimate sexual relationship as a metaphor for us to understand the way that he loves us. Just soak up that for just a minute, right? It matters so much that God is actually protecting this image, right? Because if, if marital faithfulness is a demonstration of God's love for us, then adultery is this unfaithfulness. And the pain that we know from adultery is actually this reminder to us of God's desire that we stay connected to Him in covenantal ways. So then sex is a covenant renewal ceremony. It's not just something that we do with our bodies. It's a demonstration of this commitment that we've made, which is why sex outside the bounds of heterosexual covenant marriage is always out of bounds. Because you don't have that covenant, you're not reenacting this covenant 
ceremony. You're just using yourself, right? To commodify your body or some other person is very, very different than actually engaging with them in a covenant renewal ceremony where I'm vulnerably giving myself to someone. Rather than in a commodified way, in a transactional way, taking from somebody. Even if they're consensual, what's happening in that stealing moment is I'm taking something from them and not giving them this secure commitment and covenant that would keep them safe. It it can't be anything other than using somebody outside of marriage. And here's the crazy thing. Because we bring those views into our marriage, a lot of people have experienced being used inside their marriage. We didn't just stop the images or turn off the valve of our culture when we got married. We actually brought into our marriages distorted views that didn't see sex as a covenant renewal ceremony between a man and a woman declaring their love and affection and unity. We saw it as a way to get our needs met. We saw it as a thing that if we could just wait for, then we could have all of our sexual desires satisfied. So we brought a a worldly dehumanizing reduction down view of sex into our marriages and we asked our marriages to carry the weight sexually of our own healing of identity so no wonder you spent your first several years of marriage frustrated no no wonder you've tried so hard to satisfy him or her and you feel like you can never actually do enough because you were not designed to actually satisfy that thing christ himself was It's meant to be this pointer, right? So why does Jesus spend all this time in a kingdom explanation of how we're supposed to relate to him? It's because what's going on in the sexual relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is pointing us to the love of Christ for us. Which means then that lust is not an appetizer to intimacy. It's something wholly different. And you'll never satisfy that longing for lust, that desire to take and steal away to rob from someone, marriage should not actually attempt to satisfy that. Jesus can satisfy or redeem that, but sex inside of marriage never could. Sex outside of marriage certainly could not. Self-soothing and gratification and images and stuff in your own heart could never actually deal with that dehumanizing longing to reduce you down to just simply your appetites. so, So what are we not saying? When I was probably 35, so at this conference and we're talking about sexuality and I went to this breakout session on homosexuality. Just wanted to help. I want to offer a word of hope. I want to be the kind of pastor and community that welcomes people struggling with gender dysphoria and welcomes sensors attraction just to kind of have a word to say there. It was a really helpful talk the guy gave. At the end, he opens up for questions. And I promise I wasn't trying to be like arrogant or spiteful or anything like that in my heart. I had a genuine question in my heart. So I raised my hand, and he's called on me, and I said, okay, hey, it's super helpful. Thank you, Professor. Here's my question. With heterosexuals, we can say to them, hey, this desire that you have, if you'll just wait till marriage, you can have that satisfied. But to someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, you can never offer that. What do you do with that? And my heart wasn't to be like um, a gotcha or it wasn't to kind of show off. It really was a genuine question. He was really tender with me but very direct with me. And he said, oh, friend, that longing that you're telling people they can have satisfied in marriage should actually never be satisfied. Heterosexual or homosexual, because it's not intimacy. God can satisfy the longing for intimacy. Marriage can point someone to it, but that lustful desire to take from somebody can actually never be satisfied by a human, regardless of where they struggle in the sexual orientation spectrum. 
And it was this like, I've been married for like 13 years. I've been a pastor for 15 years. I've been talking to people for a long, long time. I've read the Bible a ton of times. And I think I still had a view in my mind that if I just tried hard enough or helped other people, then that baseline desire could be satisfied rather than having that baseline desire reoriented. That what lust is actually after shouldn't be satisfied. It actually shouldn't be soothed. It shouldn't be accommodated. It should actually um, be redeemed. It, it, should be, it should be healed. So what if you have been in this endless loop for 40 years, for four days, for four months, all of COVID, how long you want to trace it back, where what you've been looking for is to have an unquenchable desire quenched? What if you could connect the dots between the shame and failure and frustration that you feel and just open your eyes to the idea that actually that lust was never meant to be satisfied. It was meant to be healed and redeemed by Jesus. And so no amount of different kinds of behaviors or different kinds of people or different kinds of activities or more of it, it would never actually satisfy. It only leaves you more and more thirsty the more you try to quench it. So, so he's not saying that every desire should be satisfied. He's not anti-sex. This passage is not something that says it's anti-desire. God is actually all about desire. It's not anti-woman. It's not saying that that women's bodies are dangerous and we have to protect ourselves from women's beauty. It's also not saying that women, your body is a currency that you could use to earn and buy and keep and deserve and demand love. Nor is your body meant to be a governor or a dam or some sort of panacea that would soothe some man's lust, that if you just gave him enough it would never actually spill out the bounds of your marriage. Your body's not designed for that. It's not saying that. It's saying something wholly different than what the portrait is of intimacy and marriage that God's inviting us to in the kingdom of God. Remember the context. It's not do more and try harder. It's be reoriented around what Christ has come to do for you. The kingdom of God has come and it frees us from the kingdom of self. You've been caught in endless loops trying to satisfy the kingdom of self that could never actually be satisfied. And these phrases we'll look at more next week of, of where they lead you is actually to destruction, to hell, to demand that they actually save you, will separate you from God. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came so you wouldn't have to be separated from Him and the longings of your heart could fully be satisfied in Him and redeemed and reoriented rather than given over to. God loves you too much to simply satisfy things that would destroy you. He loves you too much to soothe things that if they got soothe would actually lead you farther away from him he wants you to have your heart redeemed and healed and move towards him this language jesus uses here of cutting off your right hand and gouging out uh, your eye he uses later on in matthew 18 and 19 as well and in that section those calls to extreme are rooted in this passage all about god's grace it's the lost sheep passage and it's the unmerciful servant passage it's the healing, redemptive kind of passage about relationships where you have this ethic in Matthew 18 of how you forgive one another. So he takes this extreme view and he roots it in this context of extreme grace. He's not just saying try harder and do more. He's saying God's the kind of God who goes after lost sheep and he puts us in front of us so that we would actually experience the grace of Jesus when it comes to our sexuality. Next week I want to stop and just go down this... Um, road of like how do we protect this what are the proactive things because it does mean something it means that we should be vigilant to guard our hearts it matters so much we should take matters in hand how would i actually begin to heal this thing on the inside i want to actually go there 
next week. I'll throw some resources in our newsletter this week, some books. Moms and dads are some really helpful resources about how to talk to your kids. And there's a book that I want to affirm to you. It's called Captured by a Better Vision. It's the best book on pornography and sexual purity I've ever read. And I love that title. Because what it means is that there's something more beautiful that we should be looking to, not just restraining ourselves from baseline desires. When we looked at what is most beautiful, it's Jesus himself, and where he display that beauty most thoroughly, it's on the cross. So I want us to take communion as an application to this sermon to say, it's because Christ died and broke his body and shed his blood that I can actually have hope. You should feel kind of unsettled, and that's okay. Let Jesus settle you. Even the act, right, of eating something and drinking something, which is this pointer to being nourished and satisfied, would you let what Christ has done satisfy you? Even if you don't fully understand it, would you actually ask him to meet those things that are on the inside that you're struggling with? So it's open for all Christians. What I'd love for you to do is just to pray. The band's going to come back up, and they're going to kind of sing a song over us, and then we'll stand and sing one more song. You can join them if you want. You can see the words on the screen. You can begin to, to sing along if you'd like. But the idea is that you would, in this moment, remember what Christ has done to deal with our deepest longings and issues so that place can actually begin to be healed or you can be reminded of the way God's already healed it and stop looking outside of what he's done to help us. Let me pray and then let me um, offer you one more thing as I begin to pray. Like We are the kind of church that's not shocked or surprised and would love to help you and engage with you. So in this moment, even if you're like, man, I actually need prayer. I'll be here in the front. You can turn to somebody else in the room that you want to just pray for. And it wouldn't mean necessarily that you're disclosing something. It means you're just going, hey, I need help, which all of us need. Would you let somebody pray for you? Would you take communion as a reminder? If you're not a follower of Jesus, here this morning that what Jesus offers you is not a better way to live your life morally. He wants to heal you from the inside out. That's the invitation of Jesus. If you're ready to trust him to be the atonement for your sin, then take communion with us. And if you're not ready, man, I'd love to talk with you. Anybody in the room, I'd love to talk with you, but you don't have to take communion. You can pray some prayers. There's prayers in the back of your bulletin that would help you kind of engage with God in this moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, so I'm saying don't take communion because Christ hasn't satisfied that yet. But man, he wants to, and we'd love to share that with you how, how that could actually happen. So let me pray for us, and then you take communion and pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for what you came to do, and thanks that you love us as whole people. Thanks that you're not only concerned with our outward behavior, although you're very concerned with that. And thanks those outward things are pointing us inward. And thanks that you did something on the outside of us through your own sacrifice that actually heals the inside of us so we could have hope and redemption. Would you help us rehearse that now? The same way intimacy and marriage is meant to be a covenant renewal ceremony, communion is meant to be a reminder of your covenant with us, of how you healed and saved and rescued and redeemed. So would you help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Thank you.